0: time to lace them up here's brett and steve before we break down the play in series and we will be doing that uh, in the next little bit we are going to predict who we think will strike it big at the nhl awards we don't know any of the top three candidates yet this is pure speculation and prediction you will have a different take than mine you will probably have a different opinion than brett as well but that's the fun part it's supposed to be a debate so sit back and get those ballots ready because episode 227 starts right now and welcome to this edition of lace and up podcast i'm steve ellsworth
1: i'm brett Dubuff.
0: as usual before we go to the main topic uh, news and notes of yep. the week there are a few yeah. Uh, the Devils naming Lindy Ruff as their coach, uh, and removing the interim tag from GM Tom Fitzgerald. Also, the Canucks might be open to a Brock Besser trade, but the biggest news of them all is uh, labor peace between the players, owners, and the league, Brett. That is yeah. absolutely huge.
1: Yeah, I know it's, I never thought I'd see the day where uh, <laughs> the NHL and the NHLPA got along more than the MLB and the MLBPA. I, I just didn't think it would be possible. So, yeah. Um, Also, um, yeah, you, you mentioned the Lindy Ruff thing. I figured you would mention the NHL and NHL NHLPA. But um, there are two other things that I thought I should mention before we get on. Um, one... There might, uh, I guess according to Elliot no Bob McKenzie another reliable source that yeah uh, looks like uh, the uh, the Olympics are going to happen at least for twenty twenty two and twenty twenty six so that's exciting um, and yeah
0: we'll get to see McDavid yeah. versus Eichel
1: yeah and um, yeah McKen- Matthews and Eichel maybe the Kachucks on the same team maybe the Hughes on the same team. I think that's what I'm looking the most forward to. Um, And then, I mean, I hate Canada. It's the one time I hate Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. Uh, But I will admit that I would be excited to see Crosby, McDavid, and Lafreniere all on the same team. That would be uh, pretty cool to see. Um, I mean, obviously, assuming that Lafreniere is good um and pans out like we expect him to and all that stuff but um I, even then yeah.
0: team canada looks pretty stacked i
1: mean obviously i'm gonna root for team usa but um just the hockey fan in me loves watch just like it's the only time we get to see all like these generational talents play on the same team and they all happen to be canadian it's just it's unfair uh steve uh, i don't think you understand really but I mean, in
0: in, in fairness, yeah. I think this could be America's best shot at winning it oh, yeah. in quite some time, though.
1: I mean, I'm I'm actually optimistic about it, but I will. Yeah, ass- you should be. Yeah, uh, but like at the same time, it's like, McDavid, Crosby, Lafreniere, McKinnon, like, <laughs> like, and I'm I'm not even like talking about like any of their goalies or defensemen. Kale McCarr, it's just. Uh, gonna be nuts but um, mm-hmm. so I, I'm, ex- I'm excited for that um, and then the other thing I was going to mention was oh the uh, schedule um, we have a date it's going to be in August mm-hmm. August 1st is the day uh, they're gonna start and then I guess they're gonna go till the end of October um, I don't know if you heard this though Steve Um, we may have, I mean, you you may have emailed this to me and I just glossed over it, but, um, they're thinking of starting the next season in December and playing 82 games, which I don't even think that's going to happen. Um, but right now they said that they're just going to jam 82 seasons, even though they're going to skip October and November. Um, I don't know how they're gonna do that. It seems like the stupidest thing. Not to mention the fact that 24 teams have bit will be playing nonstop, so mm-hmm. so you're gonna add more games, um, and like it, it doesn't seem like this thing is going to end. So I, I I can't see it next season being 82 games. I have a feeling that's gonna um, that's gonna be changed pretty soon um, once it gets closer to that date, but. I can't believe I um, yeah. find
0: myself quoting Guy Boucher, but, uh, rest is a weapon for the Ottawa Senators, and yeah. boy, they'll be real rested, alright.
1: Right, 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 so, um, but, like, it, it's, it would be worse for, like, the Stanley Cup champion, really, because they can just be playing literally non-stop, um, and, like, in a condensed schedule, it's, it just doesn't make sense to me, so... Um
0: yeah um you do mention an uh, interesting thing about uh, the schedule speaking of the schedule yeah. on August 1st it does start that was the other thing, um too. because because they're going to be in hub cities um there's not going right to be the travel factor involved which means you will see some back to back games yep. where a team will play Thursday and then they'll play Friday um the at best they'll get it like a day off there isn't going to be yep. too much extended time because the only traveling they'll do once they get to hub cities are to Edmonton when the conference finals roll around. Right. So by even the end of the first week of October, I believe the drop dead date for the end of the playoffs is like early to mid October. And then the draft is like October 9th to 10th. Yep. So like not even late October by mid October, uh, we'll be well into getting prepared for the next season so you're right the off season will be short and it will be quite the adjustment for all of the 24 teams uh, that played especially the teams that go the farthest yeah um and uh it should also be mentioned on august 10th when there are no games being played and all of the play in series will be done that's when phase two of the draft lottery happens right. so by then we will know who has the first overall pick
1: and then last thing. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to mention this, but you didn't. Uh, apparently, it's going to be – there's going to be three games every day, one at 12 p.m. Eastern, one at 4 p.m. Eastern, and one at 7 p.m. Eastern um, for the rest of time for during the playoffs because – I'm totally
0: a, okay with that.
1: Well, it's it, – I mean, I'm going to say bye to my productivity, but um, – <laughs> yeah. But yeah, or i'll just do all my work in the morning i guess but um yeah so uh so yeah that's gonna be um it's gonna be fun and intense uh, as always so I'll, i'm i'm excited to have it back um
0: mm-hmm. and as mentioned uh, last week um there's a possibility of a fixed salary cap yep. and that will be the case for the next couple of years the cap won't go up but it won't go down either. So yep. uh, sucks for contending teams uh, trying to keep their roster intact.
1: Right, right. So, uh, all right, now we're off to the actual episode. Um, yep. After all that, that was seven minutes here. Um, <laughs> but first off, I want to mention the uh, the awards. So we're going to do award prediction stuff. Um, it's hard to believe that. It feels like years ago when they last played, but it was actually in March 11th when, when, when they stopped. Um, so we're going gonna...
0: mean, to, we would know who won the awards. Yeah, exactly. Traditionally.
1: Um, so, uh, but we're going to try our best. And I had to remind myself, it's like, Oh yeah, this guy was pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, so first I'm just going to mention, I mean, I think we mentioned this already. Um, when we, when we first heard that NHL is going to be back, but, um, David, I'll just mention the awards that already have happened, uh, or that have already been awarded because they're like the most points or most goals or whatever. So the yeah. rocket Richard goes to our co-captains or co-owned by David Pasternak and Alex Ovechkin. They both got 48 goals. Um, I remember we had an episode where we uh, were wondering who got, who will get 50 goals. Uh, no one got any 50 goals this season um but I think it's like an asterisk at this point they would probably get 50 goals yeah um,
0: there would be at least there would be at least three
1: yep Art Ross goes to Leon Dreisaitl um he had 110 points I think the next closest was like 98 or something let me actually look at that I think really Mc, quickly. I
0: think uh was it McDavid that was second I think McDavid was second
1: um, i thought it was mckinnon who was second um oh it no was i checked right.
0: mckinnon's fifth
1: mcdavid is has 97 points um mm. and he was second you're right um then we have the william jennings award which is the like the combined goalie award that goes to the boston bruins um it says here that they only gave up 167 goals this season, uh, which is exactly 2.39 goals against per game. Pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of which, uh, Bruins also won the President's Trophy, 100 points in 70 games. Um, so that's pretty good. All right, so now we get on to the biggest award. We're going to start off with that. Um, we're going to start off with the Hart Trophy, um, and, um, so I think we're just going to, I mean, we could, well, I'll probably mention, I'm going to mention some honorable mentions. I'm sure you have some nominees as well, but, um, I'm going to start off with, um, this is actually, a. I mean, there's a lot of good candidates here. Um, you can I think
0: this is probably the closest our trophy race Yep. at least that i can remember in quite some time like it's splitting errors you can name five or six people and make a legit case for them it was that close
1: yeah um so um yeah so i'm gonna i'll i'll go first here um yep so uh i i'm trying to see how i want to do this here i'm gonna say so my word i'm gonna go with Leon Dreisaitl here, um, and I think the reason because of this is the fact that well, first off, we kind of forget that Connor McDavid, um, who is he is still the best player in the league and all that stuff. But uh, Leon Dreisaitl, um, first off, he like Connor McDavid missed a couple of games, and sure, like I think McDavid has more uh, points per game. Than Settle does have, but just the fact that he has a hundred, he had 110 points, which the next closest person, which is McDavid, had 97. So that means that like he had 10 points more than the next person, um, is pretty crazy to me. Um, and he's also like when you consider the fact that like last year, the narrative and what was actually happening to the Oilers was the fact that they pretty much just had McDavid and Drysaddle had like an 100-point season and all that stuff, but like, it was pretty clear that McDavid was the person who drove the boat um, on that team. And a big key to the reason why the Oilers have been one of the best teams in the Western Conference and in the Hockey League, or they have a good shot of winning the playoffs this year, um, it's because of Leon Dreisiedel. He, he's been phenomenal for two seasons now. He kind of proved that last year wasn't a fluke at all. And, um, and like the fact that, like, you have when teams focus in when they play against the Edmonton Oilers, it's, you know, you have like, sure, obviously, you, you want to defend McDavid as much as you can. But now they have to worry about, like, arguably the second best player in the league as well as in, Mc- in Dreisaitl. So, um, I mean, I think, like, if McDavid had played 71 games, I think I would give it to McDavid. I know this sounds weird, but I think I would give it to Dreisaitl, uh, just based off of the fact that he was dominant um, and the most consistent uh, of the two of them. Um, And I think it's just like, and I guess you can make the case that both of them kind of cancel each other out, but at the same time, I I don't think the Oilers would be where they are right now without all on the team. Um, And you could make the case that he's more important, he's like as important, not more important, but as important to the Oilers as as McDavid is um, because the fact that, uh, te- teams have to prepare for Drysaddle like they're preparing for McDavid, and that makes them even more dangerous of a team. Um, other, other teams that, uh, other players that I'm going to give honorable mentions to, uh, first off, Panarin, the fact that he had 95 points um, on 69 games with, other than, I guess, um, Zabinajad and Adam Fox, and Truba to some extent, um, he pretty much has no one on the Rangers. Um, and the fact that he pretty much, like, I guess it's a little strange of a year because because um, there's 24 teams now, but the fact that the Rangers are now, um, like, could have made the playoffs even still um, is, a, is a big tr- testament to Panarin being there. Um, and he's worth, like, he he makes 11.6 per year now, Um, and, like, he's, like, he's worth every cent just because of um, how good they are. Um, Other than that, um, McKinnon, uh, the the Avalanche had a lot of different um, injuries, especially uh, Rantanen, but McKinnon was still able to be at an elite pace all season, um, so that's that's something that should be noteworthy. And then lastly, of course, I'm going to say David Pasternak. Um, the fact that, like, it's just 48 goals is nothing to sneeze at. Um, the fact that, like, he's, uh, his defense has gotten so much better, um, and, you know, he just, um, he's, like, It's probably the most uh, dangerous goal scorer in the league, uh, other than Ovechkin, but Ovechkin's... It's hard to compare anyone to Ovechkin. Um, So, uh, uh, but of course, I guess, I think the thing that people are going to be like, uh, cancel Pasternak out is the fact that Brad Marchand's on the team. And Patrice Bergeron's on the team and on the same line, uh, so um, so that's that's going to be a, a a factor there. Whereas for McDavid and Drysdale, they don't play on the same line, uh, so it's not as much of an issue. All right.
0: Yeah. Again, like like you, like I said before, you flip a coin. You know, yep. any of these guys have a case of winning. Uh, what impresses me about Panarin um, is that. This year, Brady was a plus 36. Yeah, the Rangers had a goal differential of plus 12, which means when he wasn't on the ice, they were a minus 24. Yeah, which tells you a lot about how valuable Panarin was to the New York Rangers. Um, you look at Leon Drystyle and NHL.com writers poll, 18 writers took part. Um, They had him winning the Art Ross Trophy. He had 12 first first place votes and 83 voting points. David Pasternak said, no question, Dreisaitl should win the Norse Trophy. And, you know, with the numbers that he put up in this, quote unquote, shortened season due to COVID. Mm -hmm. um, In the second half, he was unreal, uh, having 110 points um, in 71 games. Uh, with five more points in 11 fewer games compared to last year. That's unreal. Um, 44 power play points to lead the league. Leads the league in assists as well. Led all four. It's a nice time per game. Tied with Pasternak for tops on the league in game winners with 10. Uh, 66 even-strength power play points. Uh, 16 power play goals. What more can you say? Definitely worthy of being nominated and... Yeah, at least being nominated for the Art Trophy and definitely worthy of winning it as well. Uh, I'm not picking Dreisaitl. Of course. And I'm not picking Panarin either. Wow. Even though both were very, very good. Or McDavid, I'm picking Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche. And okay. it's, mostly, it's mostly because of how McKinnon played and how banged up the Avalanche were. I mean, you look at... The two times the Colorado Avalanche had to deal without Miko Rantanen, and there were a couple of times when Grubauer got hurt, and then uh, you had Nazem Kadri going down with an injury, you had Gabriel Landis going down with an injury, I believe Bjorkowski missed a couple of games as well. You name any player on that Avalanche roster and they were probably hurt for at least one game, and the one consistent threat on that entire offense from start to finish was Nathan McKinnon. He was their best player. You look at the Colorado Avalanche scoring race, and there is a clear separation between McKinnon in first and McCarr in second. McCar yeah. 50-some points. McKinnon had over 90. Third straight year, he's surpassed 90 points. Um, he also had uh, 35 goals this year, I believe, uh, the third straight year. In which he has recorded at least thirty-five goals, um, and to do that on a banged-up Avalanche team that was constantly like switching the lines because everyone was going down like flies, um, it it wasn't easy for McKinnon, I'm sure, to like develop chemistry on a certain line uh, because again, everyone was getting hurt to uh, a lot of the time. Um, and, yeah, to clarify, McCarr 50 points. McKinnon had 93 and 69 games. So that's a differential of 43 points right there. Yep. You look at Gabriel Landeskog, 145 shots on goal, second on the roster. McKinnon had 318 shots on goal. You know who had more shots on goal in the entire league than McKinnon? Nobody. Yep. He led the league in shots on goal. Second straight year, he's had ho- over 300 shots on goal. Um, nobody else on the avalanche got 20 power play points again due to injury and the second most power play goals scored by a single player on the Abs was 8 McKinnon had 12 goals 19 assists for 31 points on the power play this year yep. again one of the best power play catalysts in the league in terms of production in terms of overall minutes played he ran that Colorado offense he ran that Colorado power play and he's going to win the Hart trophy
1: okay um, I, so what I've been for prep of this, uh, for this, uh, episode, um, I have, a lot of people have been saying that Nathan McKinnon's probably going to win the Lady Bing, um, instead. Okay. He has, he has, uh, I don't know if you've looked, but he has 12 penalty minutes, uh, which is usually the big uh, case for, um, who gets the Lady Bing. You have to have, like, a low penalty minutes and a high score, basically, a high point total. So, um, I have a feeling that he would do it. Um, Yeah, but, like, any of the guys that we all just mentioned, I wouldn't be surprised if they win. Um, And, I I mean, like, there there was a lot of good players, obviously, on this this year, Um, like, I guess there's you could,
0: you could even see Jack Eichel get a few votes.
1: Yeah, I was going to say even Elias Pettersson's another one that I could see maybe uh, sneaking in there.
0: Hellebuck as well. done in Winnipeg we'll get there as in well, second, he could get yeah. a few.
1: Um he could get there Matthews as well. Um, maybe. And maybe Kucherov or yeah. So that that could be another one too. Um All right. Uh let's go to the Calder Trophy. Um I mean, I'm I'm not gonna spoil it for you because I'm pretty sure we we just did we did an episode about them just before this pandemic hit, because uh, it's it's pretty clear that it's gonna be either Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr, um, so who do you have?
0: Um yeah, if it if it's anyone but Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr, uh, someone committed robbery. Yep. <laughs> like one of them is gonna get it. Uh, for me, I'm going to take the American Quinn Hughes. Um, okay. Just just because, um, well, first of all, I should preface, both defensemen got at least 50 points in a season. A handful of guys, a handful of defensemen every single year nowadays um, are posting at least 50 points in a year. To post 50 points for a rookie defenseman is incredible. To have more than one rookie defenseman do that in the same year Something I haven't seen in quite some time as well, if not ever. Yep. Um. And Quinn Hughes and Kael McCarr both had 50-plus points. Both are going to receive nominations for the Norris as well as the Calder. Yep. They were I that good this too. year. Um. So, yeah, I'm going with uh, Quinn Hughes. You look at Kael McCarr. He filled a massive void on the uh, blue line for the avs this year, offensively speaking, especially on special teams. When Tyson Berry left, the rhetoric was can kill mccarr fill that void and he's done a very good job of that uh the Avs, again like i mentioned with mckinnon had to deal with a lot of offensive injuries the good news with Kale mccarr is that he still had mckinnon to work with um he's the guy that drives colorado's offense and i think mccarr benefited from that uh and when this Avs team is healthy McCarr is going to get a lot of points because I feel Colorado's offense is more established than Vancouver's heading into this year the Canucks had the likes of Elias Peterson and Bo Horvat and Brock Besser and JT Miller uh, on the power play and that power play has been one of the best in the league but you look on the back end with Tyler Myers and Chris Tanna, they're more of shutdown defensemen not power play operators They're not one of those special team specialists that can turn the tables in just a few shifts. And uh, you look at Alex Edler, who's nearing the end of his prime. He hasn't been 100% the past few years. Mm -hmm. And yet Quinn Hughes, as a rookie, posted 50-plus points. Maybe we could have guessed 30 to 40 points in his rookie year, 50-plus. I think he surpassed expectations in many ways there. Uh, you look at his average ice time 21 minutes 53 seconds per game for a rookie defenseman very very good uh, two of his eight goals in the season proven to be game winners also yep. pretty good um, in terms of shots on goal well not overwhelming but you look at McCar's and they're not so overwhelming mm-hmm. either and again um, the offensive guys like JT Miller and Elias Pearson and Brock Besser are expected to take most of the shots and in Colorado you saw a lot of the Nathan McKinnon shooting opportunities there um if if he wins the Calder trophy it doesn't mean necessarily that Quinn Hughes is going to have a better career than McCar. I think McCarr is in the best position to have a consistent NHL career when you look at what Colorado has to offer right now with Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog in their prime um McCarr from that standpoint could have a better overall career than Quinn Hughes yep. um in terms of who had the better rookie year I would have to go with Quinn Hughes
1: all right. Interesting. I'm going to disagree with you, but. Oh, I, wow. I know. You're going
0: against the American.
1: I know. I know. It's crazy. Um, but I'm going to use your, the argument that you had for McKinnon and, uh, apply it to Kim Carr here. Uh, first mm. off, Oh, first off, I should mention that I would love it if Quinn Hughes wins. Um, it's, it's always nice to have a, Americans uh, winning awards like that. Uh, it's so, funny how we both yeah. talk
0: about being so patriotic at the start of this episode. Know, and now we're choosing our other guys. I know,
1: I know. it's we're choosing fun.
0: guys from the enemy side. I
1: don't know. I know. I, I can't <laughs> believe I'm doing it, but, um, but yeah, so first off, I, I think this is the toughest award out of all of them because it's basically just a take your pick. Both Quinn Hughes and Kel McCarr had historic rookie seasons, um and it's just impressive that they both had they're both defensemen and they're so good and they're so young too which is just incredible so
0: yeah Quinn Hughes is 20 yeah
1: and also like the fact that we all were like before the season started we thought that Quinn's brother was going to uh, make some noise and he hasn't which I think I still have hope for him obviously but oh yeah um, but yeah so I think um so there's that but Uh, first off, I'm going to say that I think, um, so when I'm looking at their points, they're very similar totals, um, however, uh, Kale McCarr had 50 points in 57 games, um, and, uh, yeah, he didn't shoot as much, and I don't think he, uh, has, he was as effective on the power play, but, uh, 50 points in 57 games. That's like I have to do math here. That's 0.87 points per game, uh, which is pretty nuts compared to um, Quinn Hughes, um, who had 0.815. So it's it's around the same, but Kelmekar, like 50 points in 57 games. That's almost a point per game. That just means that there were seven games, roughly speaking, that he didn't get a point in. Um, which is pretty crazy, um, so I think from that perspective, I I think there's that. Um, also, of course, like you know, it's not all about points, of course, um, especially for defensemen. But um, I think there's there's something to um, the fact that, like you were mentioning for for McKinnon um, and the Hart Trophy, the fact that. You had uh, Rantanen, who was injured for long periods of time. You had uh, Burakovsky, who was injured for long periods of time, who had a breakout season this year. Um, there was like Grubauer. There was a, like before before the team and you know the games weren't um, were canceled and all that. Like we were kind of worried that Colorado wouldn't like would lose that central division. Standings and stuff, but when you mention that like Kale McCarr was the second best player or had the second most points um, and was con- like really consistent throughout, like that just means to me that he was really valuable to their team. Um, and of course Quinn Hughes is valuable to their team, but I feel like because you have Alex Edler on the team, you have Tyler Myers on the team, they could realistically um, be a good team. But with, like, for Colorado, if you take out Kale McCarr, it's just like Eric Johnson and like, um, and Ryan Graves. So, like, not bad defensemen, of course, but um, in terms of, like, offensive. Uh, in terms stature, of depth, yeah. yeah.
0: In terms of depth, you, you make the argument that Vancouver looks a bit better in that yeah. regard.
1: And, and so, in that regard, I think Kale McCarr means more to the Avalanche than Quinn Hughes means to the Vancouver Canucks. Um So, so yeah, um, all of that. Um, and also before we go to the next topic, um, I do want to shout out uh, Dominic Kubalik, um, Victor Olufsen, and Adam Fox. Um, there, I don't I would imagine I think it's either gonna be Olufsen or Kubalik for the third nomination spot. Um, it would be kind of crazy if it was Adam Fox because then you have three defensemen um, for the Calder, but um, so it's it's probably going to be one of those two, um, one of those three. Nick Suzuki's I also see is up here too, um, so I could I could see that happening as well. But
0: yeah, the thing that impresses me about Kubalik is uh, he had thirty goals with the Hawks, yep. twenty six at even strength, so only four power play goals, averaged less than fifteen minutes per game, hardly received those prime power play chances, which. Olufsen got in Buffalo, and he had 11 of his 20 goals in the power play. He averaged 18.23 per game and had a better uh, point-per-game ratio than Kubelik. Uh, uh, Victor Olufsen was at .78. Kubelik was 0.68. But at the same time, um, Kubelik not playing the prime minutes, and he's still able to get 30 goals. That's pretty impressive. I think Merce Lickens is another guy that – could get so, some votes. I think he'll be in the top five. He won't be a top three though, because I didn't even, yeah. because the week start and the week finish in but be, in between that unreal run he had, um, the the inconsistency is going to cost him. So. I
1: hadn't even thought of the goaltenders. I guess Tristan Jari could get some consistency. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, maybe Pavel, maybe Jari could get some votes too. Pavel
1: yeah. Francouz is another one. Although I don't know, does Jari count as a rookie? I think he. he I think.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a. I think, I think, if yeah. I recall correctly, on uh, on the NHL website, it classifies him as a rookie. I could be yeah. wrong though. Um, um, but yeah, even then, I don't think, I don't think it'll be enough for Jerry to usurp the likes of Kubalik, uh, right. Olafson, McCarr, and uh, Hughes.
1: Yeah, and also, um, I want to shout out. I don't think these players will get any votes, or maybe one vote. Uh, but I do want to mention them, because um, they had. I'm looking here at the rookie scoring. I was like, oh, they actually had a pretty decent season. Uh, one is uh, Denny Garyanoff, uh, Alex Nielander, Martin Nikash, John Marino, um, and then Kirby Dak, and uh, Kaiko actually had a decent season too. And then of course, um, I don't, he got injured. Uh, but uh. Towards um, towards the beginning of the year, but uh, he was really good when he was doing it. But uh, Philip Zadina is one of them, and then of course Kaelier Yamamoto, um, who was really hot um, towards the end of the season, but just not enough to actually um, make enough buzz. But he was hot for like about a month. Yep. <laughs> so so those guys all deserve some recognition. I have a feeling I think Yamamoto must be, um, must count for next year as a rookie. I would imagine he still has some eligibility left. Um, but anyways, so, uh, we're, we're done with that category here. All right. Uh, so now I'm, I have a feeling this is going to be one of those things where you're going to be take it or leave it, or you're not, you're going to be more indifferent to this, but, um, I did some research here. Um, so the the next trophy here is the Selkie Trophy, and um, I, for prep for this podcast, I looked at a lot of different um, like predictions and and people's things just to jog my memory again. I kept on seeing like uh, Sean Couturier, Sean Couturier, and Sean Couturier, and um, no disrespect to Sean Couturier, uh, he's he's a really good two way forward. Um, and he he deserves recognition, and if he gets it, then good for him. But um, I I think it's it's it should definitely be Patrice Bergeron, um, and I know I have Homer glasses on, but I also brought some stats here. So okay. First off, the first stat. Um, he so so yes, when you look at it from the grand scheme of things. Uh, I I have a feeling that the reason why people aren't going to vote for Patrice Bergeron is the fact that um, he already has won it so many times before. And, you know, it's time to get Sean Couturier a, a chance and, and all that stuff. But when you look at his, um, and, um, and he was, and Patrice Bergeron was injured for a couple of games and, Couturier was by far the best player on the Philadelphia Flyers, whereas you could make a case that Marchand is the best player on the team, or you can make a case that David Pasternak is the best player on the team. Um, the fact that, first off, I thought it was like, I, I was, first off, before I did any research, I, I was okay with giving Couturier this award. But then I saw that, uh... Patrice Bergeron had 759 faceoff wins in 61 games, and Sean Couturier had 554, 542 faceoff wins in 69 games. So uh, that just means that um, uh, that turns out to, if you do the math here, that, that Patrice Bergeron had 12.4 faceoff wins per game, whereas Sean Couturier had. Seven point eight, uh, six faceoff wins per game. That's, uh, crazy statistics. That's a five faceoff win per game difference. Um, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, Sean Couturier had a sixty percent faceoff percentage. I think Bergeron was pretty close, but I don't believe it was. Okay, he had fifty eight percent, but that's still pretty close. So. I could see, like, maybe you can make a case that face-off percentage is more important, but just the fact that, like, 12, (laughs) like, just that stat alone is pretty nuts. Also, um, the other thing, uh, Bergeron, because the other part of the Selkie is, you know, you're good on face-offs and you're good back-checking and all that stuff. You're good defensively, um, which they both do in spades. But uh, Bergeron had 56 points in 61 games. Uh, that, If you put that up to uh, points per game, that's 0.91 uh, points per game. So he's almost at a point per game pace. As you can tell from the last two things, I love points per games. Um, yep. That's pretty good. 0.91 points per game. For Couturier, you had 0.855 points per game. Pretty good but not as good as what Bergeron was able to do. So, um, so yeah, this is another one where I'm, I mean, it's not just because I'm a Bruins fan and, and all that stuff, but um, I was, I was ready to concede it and just being like, okay, I'm just being a homer. But when I looked at the statistics, I'm just like, it, like, how can it not be Bergeron? <laughs> it's just, it, it would blow my mind if it's not Bergeron and not to take anything away from Couturier. He had a phenomenal season, um, I I was the most frustrated when I uh, couldn't get him in one of my leagues uh, this off season, but in the second round. But like it just it just blows my mind that Treat Bergeron isn't the for sure sulky winner here.
0: Yeah, it, it you know Bergeron's one of those guys where every single year he puts forth a season where you know he could be a top three candidate yep. for the silky um he's just been consistent every year always brings it in the prime of his career and just been the leader not named the chair on that boston bruins they really look up to him and um the guys really follow his lead which is something that you know if if you want to evaluate a good character and good two-way play uh, patrice bergeron is a great poster boy for that yep um In terms of who I would pick, Mark Stone is a very close candidate. I think he will be nominated this year uh, in a case of nothing else is new. um, Near the top of the NHL leaderboard, once again in takeaways, he's second this year. He had 21 goals, 42 assists, for a total of 63 points, along with 168 shots on goal, uh, on top of six power play goals and 17 power play points. Um, Couturier... At the very least, will be nominated. Uh, Bergeron, uh, you mentioned uh, him, he's probably another name to put out there. Um, I'm not taking Stone or Bergeron or Couturier, I'm going with last year's winner, Ryan O'Reilly. He's uh-huh. gonna win it again, and uh, I'll explain with the fact that the St. Louis Blues have been without one of their top scorers, Vladimir Tarasenko, for several months. Yeah, um, they got a lot of goals from several role players, such as David Perron, such as Zach Sanford, such as Robert Thomas. The straw that stirs the drink on several fronts has been Ryan O'Reilly. He's been the glue for that top line. He wins faceoffs, offs um, taken 1,556 draws. No other NHL player has taken more draws than him this year. He's won 880 face-offs. Uh, that is tops in the league for a 56 56- face-off win percentage. That's 0.3% lower than last year, but last year he won the Selkie. So again, you know, 56.9 versus 56.6. It's still pretty good, Um, and it's been 56% or better for the past five years now. So he's been very consistent, like Bergeron. Um, You might look at his goal totals and you're just like, well, he only got 12 goals this year. He had 28 last year. Yeah, true, but look at the shot totals. He had 234 shots last year. This year, only 118. So you're you're not going to get 20 goals right. if you, you take, like, double less the shots than he did last year. He still had 49 assists, though he has 61 points in 71 games. Um, the same assist total as last year. Still one of the Blues' top scorers right now. Um, prior to this year, he averaged at least 20 goals for four straight years. Um but on an ordinary year, even then, who is scoring the most goals for the Blues if he's healthy? The answer is Vladimir Tarasenko. And O'Reilly is one of those assist guys that sets up plays, that lets other people do the scoring. And he just does all the little things that make his team better and that can get his team results. And he's one of the best at it. And yeah. uh, it's going to lead to another Selkie trophy.
1: Yeah, I guess I had forgotten about Ryan O'Reilly, which... For, I,
0: I forgot um, about Bergeron, honestly, until you mentioned him, too. Really? Uh, Maybe because he's just so good at it, you kind of forget him.
1: Yeah, but, um, yeah, so that's that's a good point. Um, I'm also, you mentioned the takeaway giveaways, which is a good point. Um, so, I'm looking at, I, I, like, I'm looking at this stat here that, uh, that does, like, takeaways, uh, that divides the giveaways from the takeaways. So you got like a takeaway rate, basically. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly has 3.14 takeaways over giveaways. Patrice Bergeron has two flat takeaway-giveaway ratio. And then Sean Gaturi has a 1.11. So I guess... Um, and then Ryan O'Reilly is pretty close to the face-off wins per game uh, compared to Bergeron. But, um, However... So I think what it comes down to is Bergeron has the points per game and the points um, then Couturier and O'Reilly. O'Reilly has the takeaways, giveaway numbers, um, and, of course, the faceoff wins as well. And then Couturier has, like, the, the face-off win percentage. Um, so um, I have a... I, I hope it's Bergeron, but I think you did bring up a good point that it's probably O'Reilly. So maybe I was I overreacted <laughs> with with I, I can't believe it's not Bergeron. Or why aren't people talking about Bergeron? It it should be Bergeron, but um, I guess it, I wouldn't be surprised if it's O'Reilly. But it, it should. I, be I
0: guarantee you that every single Sabres fan listening to this is very pissed because. Yep. They, they're just like, oh, stop talking about Bergeron, and also stop talking about the guy yeah. we traded to St. Louis for virtually nothing. Good point.
1: No, you're right. Um, let's, I, we'll appease we'll some Sabre fans if we have any. Um, let's uh, do um, the Norse trophy here. Uh, who is your pick?
0: Uh, well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarroll both received nominations for the Nor- Norris Trophy. I think neither is going to win. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if one would finish in the top three voting, though. Um, yeah. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, Alex Petrangelo, very good bet to receive a nomination this year. Sean yep. um, yep. Carlson, I feel, is the front runner in everyone's ballots just because of the point totals. Um, but I don't think he wins it. I'm going to go with the defenseman from Bern, Switzerland, named Roman Yossi, yep. the captain of the National Predators. I probably think, I'm probably, in your head, Brett, you're thinking this is not a surprise because I've talked about how good Roman Yossi is on, his po- on yeah, this podcast. and you were going with that too. Yeah, I'm going to double down again. Um, so, on the season, we mentioned the giveaway takeaway ratio. He had 68 giveaways and 34 takeaways, which um is i'm pretty sure two giveaways compared to one takeaway that's not a good ratio but those stats will make a bit more sense later if you put this into perspective the top 10 list of defenders in recorded giveaways includes jeff petrie thomas shabbat drew dowdy chris letang brent burns and john carlson and when i say top 10 in record giveaways i don't mean in a good way that's not that's not good if you're top ten in giveaways. Yeah, uh, all of those players have at least seventy nine giveaways on the year. Yosi averaged the third highest minutes ice time per game, twenty five minutes and forty seven seconds per game he played on average. Thomas Shabbat and Drew dowdy being the only names ahead of him in that regard. He coughed up the puck sixty eight times while averaging the third highest minutes of ice time per game. So. It look the take giveaway to takeaway ratio looks a little less bad when you put that into consideration. When you look at the amount of minutes that he logged um, this year, 108 shots blocked, the exact same amount as John Carlson. Uh, he played a total of 226 minutes and nine seconds on the power play this year, the sixth highest um, ice time, total ice time on the power play league wide. Carlson, not surprisingly, leading the pack. But you look at shorthanded minutes. Yossi has 138 minutes and 31 seconds on his resume this year, over 69 games. John Carlson, in 69 appearances, he has 103 minutes and 3 seconds. So Yossi has spent more time on the penalty kill than John Carlson has. In terms of shots on goal, Roman Yossi surpassed 250 shots for a third straight year, with his 260 shots this year ranking first overall amongst defensemen. 35 shots ahead of second-place Brent Burns. Carlson, meantime, uh, posted 60 helpers. Not surprisingly, led the NHL in that regard. Roman Yossi had 49, so only 11 helpers behind John Carlson. Uh, In terms of goals, Yossi had 16 of them, good for second in uh, the NHL, and only four goals back of the only 20-goal scorer amongst defensemen this year. That would be Zach Rowenski of the Columbus Blue Jackets. That's not... None of that is going to decide this award. What's going to decide the award is team situations. And this is what I mean by that. The Washington Capitals, once again, as we all know, were very, very good. John Carlson had guys like Alex Ovechkin on his team, Nicholas Backstrom, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Tom Wilson, Jacob Varana. They lived up to offensive expectations. In Nashville... You have guys like Ryan Johansson, Kyle Tourist, Victor Arvidsson, Philip Forsberg, Matt Shane, and Ryan Ellis running the offense, along with Roman Yossi. That team, from start to finish, underachieved in all caps, except for Roman Yossi, who was by far and away their best player from start to finish. And people might remember John Carlson and his massive point streak, but don't forget, Roman Yossi had a 12-game point streak And during that 12-game point streak, he notched multi-point affairs in five of six games during that run, also went on a five-game goal-scoring streak during that run, and to end the season, he registered points in six of his final seven games, which included two of his 10 multi multi-assist affairs on the campaign. So while the Capitals were good and the Predators didn't even come close to matching the expectations that were set before them, despite the obstacles and the mid-season coaching change, Rowan Yossi was a plus 22 this year. Yep. John Carlson, plus 12. Yeah. So Yossi's plus minus. Although his team wasn't as good as Washington, Yossi had the better plus minus than John Carlson. He ranked second amongst NHL defenders in points, got at least 15 goals for a second straight year, and set career highs in goals, assists, and points and could have easily hit 70 points had the season concluded as it normally would. Um, a lot of people might think it's a one-sided vote that John Carlson should get it, but uh, I think Roman Yossi has enough in his favor to um, at, at, least, at, at least make um, a splitting hairs kind of race between him and Carlson. I don't think it's that one-sided as people think, and I think Roman Yossi is going to win the Norris
1: yeah um i i'm actually it, it all
0: depends on the criteria because if you look at a couple of years ago eric carlson lost to drew dowdy right because dowdy was the best overall defenseman and in 2016 17 carlson was the better overall defenseman but brent burns had the best point total so he got it Yeah. so it all depends i guess on who's judging what and what the award is going to be held to is it best offensive defenseman or the best overall it depends on the
1: year honestly yeah i know like back when uh, chara was uh always considered um during that time it was always a weird situation because back when it was like eric carlson versus Zdeno Chara, if you remember these debates it's funny that we've never had this debate uh (laughs) because we uh we started doing the podcast later on but Um, I always got annoyed by the fact that Eric Carlson would get, uh, more of the votes or more of the recognition because it was like, Chara's much better defensively than Eric Carlson is. It's just that Carlson just had more points than him. So I was always annoyed by that. Um, so in the same token, I'm going to go with, uh, Roman Yossi as well. This is the first time we agreed on something. So, um... But I, I wouldn't be upset for if John Carlson um, gets it, because I think they're both, like, it's about even in my mind. Um, I think what did it to me was the fact that uh, Roman Yosi like, put up around the same points, uh, point totals, but you're right. Like, he's also, he hasn't beaten, like, the shots on goal, the... Um, also, the like uh, um, the plus plus-minus is... I mean, I, I don't love plus-minus as a stat, but I think it is important to say that. Um, and also, I just think that uh, he's more important to the... I think the other tiebreaker for me is the, like, usually um, how important is this player to the team um, compared to the other ones. And I think like if you took John Carlson out of Washington, yeah, they they would be screwed without because um, he's pretty much the only good defenseman they have there, but um, more or less. But, like, for and, like, if you take Roman Yossi, you still have Ryan Ellis, you still have Matthias Ekholm, you still have um, what's-his-face, I'm blanking on the other guy that they have. Um, oh, I guess they don't have I was just thinking of P.K. Subban, but they don't have him anymore.
0: They have not <laughs> Fabro though.
1: They have Fabro, but yeah, th- that's a good one. Um, so the, the the I guess the Predators would be okay if they lost Yossi for long periods of time, but like at the same time, they're gonna miss his leadership. They're gonna miss his um, his his defensive ability um, and and all that stuff. So um, and he's just a better all around player compared to John Carlson. Having said all that, I would love it if the American won the Norris Trophy. So I am going to be rooting for John Carlson and all that stuff, but I I don't know if he will. Um, Also, some shout-outs here. Uh, Shea Theodore had some some, uh, recognition in my mind. Uh, He kind of tore it up. He actually did well defensively, too. I don't know if you've looked at his numbers, but Shea Theodore... um, I could see him getting some votes as well. Um, he kind of put on to the next level. Um, Oscar Clefbaum and Chris Letang and um, would have some nominations if they had played a full season or you know had played as much of a full season as they could. Um, but I don't think they're going to do that. Um, uh, Zach Wierenski is another one uh, where. Since that Seth Jones was was injured, like Zach Werenski kind of took over, and that that was impressive to me. Ivan Provorov finally, he uh, was he was always good defensively, but he finally turned it up a notch offensively speaking, and kind of became the power play person, and took over the role of Ghost Bear, uh, which is uh, something that's hard to do because Ghost Bear had been pretty consistent, relatively speaking. So, uh, shout out to Provorov. Um, and then, uh, as you mentioned, Pedro Angelo, uh, Jacob Truba also deserves some recognition. Victor Hedman. And then, lastly, um, Neil Pionk um, was another one because, uh, notoriously speaking, I guess the common thread of Winnipeg has been their defense is their weak link. And it is. But uh, Neil Pionk was able to, to actually carry the load and, and take over. Uh, what they lost from Jacob Truba,, um, Dustin Bufflin and Tyler Myers all in one. Um, and he was a big reason why the, the Winnipeg Jets were in the mix at the same time. So um, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Neil Pion gets some some recognition or some votes there as well.
0: And for and for being a beast on a really bad team, even though he wouldn't even come close to the top ten in the boating this year, shout out Thomas Shabbat.
1: Yeah, I figured you were you would mention him. I guess also I should mention Tori Krug and Charlie McAvoy, but um, although Charlie McAvoy just got going before it was cancelled and, and Tory Krug has been pretty consistent throughout. But he's never like Tory Krug's never put up the defensive numbers as all the other guys I just mentioned. Um,
0: yeah, we, we also talked yeah. about, like, giveaway and takeaway ratios. Yeah. Um, for all the Leaf fans out there, don't look at Tyson Berry's. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not point. pretty.
1: <laughs> I was actually surprised when I was looking at this that Shea Theodore um, had a pretty good takeaway ratio. It a 1.02 takeaway ratio um, compared to everyone else. Um, I, guess, I feel
0: like Shea Theodore has taken the place to Roman Yossi yeah. as the most underrated defenseman in the league. Yeah. Like, he's quietly good.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he's pretty good defensively too. I, I wouldn't be mad if he, if he ended up winning it as well. Yeah. But. I,
0: I, I feel like, I feel like it would be weird if he did get nominated. Cause like, he's not really on, on my radar. It would be with like one of those like wildcard picks, yeah. but good for him. If he gets on there for sure. He's had a yeah. good year.
1: And he's 24 years old where right? it's like Carlson and uh, Yossi are both 30 years old, which is pretty crazy yeah. to me.
0: Yeah. Just getting started. Yeah.
1: So he'll have a, he'll have a Norris in his future for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And now I just get upset because I traded him um, <laughs> in one of my leagues. Um, all right. Uh, let's go to the Vezina. Um, and now it's my turn. Um, yep. <laughs> So it is kind of funny because I did just shout out Neil Pionk, and he was the big reason why Winnipeg Jets were even um, in the playoff hunt. But the true reason why the the Jets were even in the playoff hunt is because of Connor Hellebuck. Um, I'm as you know, we're not really a big. Uh, I'll, first, I'll start off with we're not big into like I don't think we say any advanced stats here and on this uh, on this podcast. It's more it's not because I don't believe in them or anything like that, and I'm sure it's the same for you, but um, it's more that I don't understand it to the full extent. So it's hard to really uh, explain it when you don't really understand it yourself. But uh, apparently he has great numbers that way. Um, also the fact that like Winnipeg Jets, they did lose Dustin Bufflin. They did lose Tyler Myers. They did lose Jacob Trouba. Um, And they also lost Ben Chariot. So that's their top four defenseman. And that means that, like, the Jets had, other than Neil Pionk, they had pretty much no one. Um, And I I was hoping that Sammy Naiku would take that next step and all that stuff, and maybe he will. But um, but it seems like uh, everyone else, like, even, I guess, Josh Morrissey was decent, but, like, um, like, Pretty much, uh, he he. I guess he had the most saves, um, uh, because they were just leaving him out to dry. But there was like times when Connor Hellbuck would just steal games and and all that stuff. And oh um, well, yeah, there was a yeah. game
0: against the Sharks where they were outshot by like at least a two to one margin, yeah. and then I think they got two points out of that.
1: Yeah, um, I have to make sure that I think he had the most saves out of any he had the
0: most saves and he faced the most shots i think he averaged close to like 31 shots against per game right right
1: and so the thing i guess the one knock on him is that the fact that like he's not really up there on save percentage um although i guess he's like fifth in save percentage and uh a gaa of um his gaa isn't really i guess it's fourth in GAA, I have to double check on all that stuff. I'm looking at a weird site, I guess. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I guess there is a knock that, like, compared to guys like Tuka Rask or, uh, Vasilevsky, like, the win total may may, may make a difference and all that stuff, but, um, and the save percentage stuff, but...
0: I'm pretty sure his save percentage was, like, 922
1: this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was, alright, I'm looking here. Yeah, he Which uh, is... 9-
0: which isn't, is not just good, it's great.
1: Oh no, it is good. But compared to all the other guys, like uh Tuka Rask, Anton Kudobin, Darcy Kemper, Jake Allen, Pavel Francus, and Considering the workload fans,
0: though, I would say it's even more impressive. Yeah. No disrespect to Tuka oh, Rask. Like, they didn't face yeah. the most shots. And you look yeah. at Brassois' record, he's 6-7-1 in 15 starts.
1: I'm just saying, those were the... Those were the six guys who had a better save percentage, but you're right. Yeah, yeah. But played they didn't the play
0: nearly the amount of same the same games and face the same amount of, of amount of shots. For one, they had much better defense in front yeah. of
1: them. And then, um, as for GAA, you're right. Uh, that he's 14th in GAA, which is uh pretty crazy. But again, like you have to consider the context of everything, the fact that right. the Jets don't have as good of a defense as Boston does, as St. Louis does, as Dallas does, as Arizona does. So, And they were um, still in and, contention. Yeah. Like,
0: even without this 2014 format, they would be close to a playoff yeah. spot if they didn't secure one.
1: And um, don't get me wrong, I love there Nothing in the world would make me happy um, if Tugarask <laughs> won the Vezina Trophy because then we could get idiots like Joel uh, Haggerty and Michael Felger to stop with all this nonsense about how he's not good um however the fact that yarisov probably
0: just yeah. say oh it was a pandemic here I know, I know. Yeah, it's so well no hard. no what
1: the, what they'll do is i i've they're they're not gonna stop with the tukaras hate until um until, until he wins a cup, cup yeah. right so um so i i get it from that but like you can't say that he's he's not a good goalie or a great goalie if, if he wins another Vezina trophy. He already has a Vezina. So, um, so I, I I would love it if he does that, but the fact that Yaroslav Halak uh, played 31 games, whereas Rask played 41 games and put up equal numbers, um, I think, around equal numbers, I think you can make the case that it's not there, whereas what's turning out in Connor Hellbuck's favor is the fact that he is like a workhorse. And there's very few of them nowadays. Um, I think a lot of teams are doing backups um, more frequently than than they usually uh, do. But um, like the fact that I mentioned like Jake Allen and Anton Kudobin and they're not even starters <laughs> they're they're up there on like the gaA and save percentage list that that just shows you how good they they've been but um, I think like the fact that but like in a individual award like this uh, the more games you play the better outcome you have and and I think that um, that will uh, transpire and that just hurts them for. For the running, um, of course. So, um, so I think it's it's pretty much between Connor Hellebuck and Tuga Rask. But I do want to mention uh, some other players um, before it's your turn. Connor Hot, Connor Hot. Um, he uh, he was unreal, especially towards the last half of the year. Uh, Tristan Jari also deserves some recognition. Uh, Elvis Merzilkins as well, even though they're both rookies uh, relatively speaking but um they they I wouldn't be surprised if they get nominated um although I guess for Elvis's case he got injured so that may that may hinder it um Vasilevsky is another one Jordan Binnington and then lastly I think oh uh Mackenzie Blackwood even though the Devils stunk
0: yeah
1: uh he was the lone bright spot um in pretty much most of their games Um, so I, I think he, um, he deserves some recognition, but I don't think he'll get nominated. And then lastly, uh, Jacob, Jacob, Markstrom. I think it's Jacob. It's not Jacob. Um,
0: I actually think it is Jacob. Oh, is it
1: Jacob? I I think
0: so.
1: I thought it was pronounced Jacob. Um, anyways, (laughs) I just made myself into it. It would make
0: sense because it's more the European. Yes.
1: That's what I was thinking. I thought it was Jacob. Um, anyways um but uh I think Markstrom um had a career year I remember there was like a couple of games where he had like he made like 50 saves or something like that so uh he deserves some recognition as well but he got injured towards the end of it um and all that stuff but um yeah so those are the guys that I I think uh deserve some recognition but I think I would give it to Hellebuck
0: yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, before before I um, submit my winner, I will add to the honorable mentions. Mackenzie Blackwood, really hope he gets some best in a boast uh, this year. 22 14 and 8 records on that Devils team. Posted a nine fifteen save percentage and faced the eighth most shots in the league. Yeah. Absolutely deserve some votes. Same with Markstrom. Uh, their games, Bank are no business winning, and you just pull a rabbit out of his hat and they get two points. Um, I think if he was around for a couple more months, Igor Shazurkin would be in this conversation as well. He played very well. I don't think Carter Hart uh, will be in the top five voting because of the away numbers. At Wells Fargo Center, lights out. Away, absolutely beatable. So um, I think that might cost him a little bit. Um, Andre Vasilevsky solid once again for the Lightning. Uh, Faced the third most shots in the NHL. Another 30-plus win campaign for him. Unreal second half. The first half was all right, and I don't think that's going to be good enough to win the best enough this year. Um, I will give a shout-out to Ben Bishop as well. He's been solid for Dallas, but you look at Udovin's numbers, just a stellar when uh, Bishop was uh, on the bench, so I don't think Ben Bishop wins. Um, I think Robin Leonard might get some votes, but uh, I don't think he'll win. Uh, for me, it's Connor Hellebuck, and uh, if you don't give him the Vesna, you're a coward. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, again, you look at Winnipeg's defense, it speaks for itself. Bufflin gone, Myers gone, Truba gone, Trot gone. Hellebuck's workload right from the get go was insane. Um, appeared in 58 games. To be specific, Brett, 1,796 shots based, the most in the NHL by 41 shots. Um, so that's almost 1,800 shots against the guy behind him, Carry Price. Uh, in case you're wondering, um, like I said, close to 31 shots per game. I think 30.9 is the correct number there. Um, is 1,656 saves, most in the NHL. The only guy ahead, uh, behind him, uh, the closest um, behind him was Carry Price, and he was like 50 or 60 saves behind Um, like I said, with Bursois only played 15 games, he went six, seven, and one when Hellebuck was on the bench. Um, and in a conference that was loaded with talent in a division that was arguably the best and the toughest to play in this year, even if you take away the 2014 format, like I said, the Jets are close to a playoff spot and Connor was the main reason why, um, he went 31, 21 and five led the league in shutouts with 6 with that defense. Um it's unreal how good he was and it would just be an absolute travesty if he didn't get the best no. He's absolutely deserving.
1: Yeah, that's uh that's a good uh a reason there. Um all right, uh Jack Adams. This is a interesting category this year because there were you forget that there were about, like, a ton of coach firings this year. but um, <laughs> It's the so, Hired
0: to be Fired Award.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, who do you have on the Jack Adams?
0: Well, I hope he breaks the trend. Uh, John Tortorell, the Columbus Blue Jackets, is a shoe-in for this award. Clear-cut winner. change my mind. I've got all day. Um, last really? year, as it's no secret that this organization was putting all of its chips on the table, Um, They kept Panarin, even though there were rumblings that he probably wasn't going to stay beyond this year. They rolled the dice. They got Matt Duchesne at the deadline. They got Ryan DeSingle at the deadline, both from Ottawa. Um, They added some death pieces in Adam McQuaid and Keith Kincaid. Um, And, you know what, to an extent, that strategy worked because they swept the top-seeded Tampa Bay team out of the playoffs in round one um, and got their first playoff series win. They achieve franchise history that's that's great Uh, but they didn't have enough gas to outlast boston in six games they were eliminated in round two their goal wasn't to win a playoff series it was to win the stanley cup that was their objective and they they paid the price ultimately on the open market duchene goes to nashville if he doesn't go to nashville probably doesn't stay in columbus they again lost panarin to the rangers although they probably would have lost him to another team uh despite a last ditch effort to keep them their money wasn't enough uh gone to carolina kincaid gone to montreal buried in the minors now um and nobody expected much from them out of the gate oh yeah Bobrovsky to florida there's another one although that looks a little bit better when you consider Bobrovsky's numbers in his contract but again to state the obvious nobody expected much from this team out of the gate and then they begin to surprise some people in the first four to six weeks, and then they have trouble staying healthy. Uh, you look at Seth Jones missed several weeks due to injury, Merce Lincolns and Corpus both injured during various times of the year before, um, the start of, uh, the season. And when Corpus was kind of carrying the team a little bit, Merz Lincolns was this Latvian goalie that had potential to be something, but hadn't shown it yet. And, um, we didn't really see that until Corpusalo got hurt. Uh, you look at Oliver Bjorkstrand, showed serious potential. You look at the point holes he produced, very, very promising. Significant injury, only allows him to play 49 games. Cam Atkinson, veteran forward, guy that can score 30 to 40 goals, just 44 games he played in this year. Yep. Dean Koopman, uh, deaf defenseman, 33 games. Ryan Murray, 27 games injury played throughout his career. Josh Anderson, four points in only 26 games. Sounds like he's still not ready to return for the return to play. This team couldn't catch a break for the longest time. And you look at their numbers last year and this year, it's a night and day difference. Um, Columbus, 256 goals in 2018-19. That's an average of 3.12 goals scored per contest. 2019-20, no Duchene, no Panarin running the offense. Um, They scored 180 goals for an average of 2.57 per game. That's a big decline. Um, In 2018-19, they gave up 231 goals in 82 games. That's a 2.82 goals against per game. Um, This past year, or or this year rather, they only surrendered 183 over 70 games. That's an average of 2.61 goals against per match only three other teams getting exposed fewer times in game situations than Columbus. So they didn't score as much, but they played better team defense and their goaltending was better. Mm -hmm. And again, this is after Bobrovsky has left and they're relying on two young goalies. Um, So their penalty kill was good. Their power play even last year wasn't good. So um, not much of a shocker there. Um, and you look at where they fit in the standings. Last year 47 31 and 4, 13th overall in the NHL. This year 33 22 and 15, 13th in the NHL. They ranked in the exact same place and they and they won over 30 games with a roster that probably had no business being in the playoff conversation and similar to Winnipeg Even without that 2014 format, they would be at the very least within the striking distance of a playoff spot, and John Tortorella deserves all the credit in the world for getting his team on the same page. Um, This team has character, and this team has the work ethic to surprise a lot of people, and a good part of getting that level of success and commitment out of your guys can only be achieved with good coaching, and John Tortorella really, really stepped it up, and everyone else kind of followed his word, and he and he got them to buy in. So good on Torts. I hope he gets rewarded.
1: Yeah. So you started this uh, whole thing off on uh, saying uh, you have all day to tell you wrong. Um, I'm going to yep. tell you. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you wrong. Uh, okay. First off, I mean, I, I, I guess it feels like I, it goes without saying, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Torts wins it, he deserves it, and all the stuff you just said, I agree with. Um, however, I think there is something, and a common theme that we've been saying all throughout whenever we've talked about the Colorado Avalanche, is the fact that they had, um, they had so many injuries uh, throughout the year. It was like... One time it was Mika Rantanen, then Grubauer was injured. Then, uh, then you had, uh, um, like uh, uh, Tyson Jost, J.T. comfort had a, a couple of games that he missed. Landeskog missed a couple Kadri. Of games. Yeah, a Cadre exactly. Um, so I I just did some a quick look here. Uh, so the Avalanche played seventy games uh, this year. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, how many, I mean, I don't know if you, you're looking, but <laughs> I hope you're not looking. How many players do you think played a full 72 game season, a 70 game season? Sorry.
0: Played every single game that the Avalanche played.
1: Yep. This season.
0: I'm going to guess five. Two. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, uh. I mean, it's a little bit cheating because you were, te- I mean, not technically right, because uh, three played 69 games. But um, Matt Nieto and Sam Girard played 70 games. And then you had McKinnon, Ryan Graves, and Philip Pierre-Edouard Um So, so there's that, that aspect of the fact that the Avalanche were like pretty much uh, injury-ridden all year. Um, there was never truly a uh, truly um, injury like free year. Well, I guess it's like the same for a lot of teams where injuries happen yeah. and all that stuff. But it was especially bad for the Avalanche. Um, but they still um, they still were the fourth best team, tied for third actually. I guess here um, tied for third best team in the league. So um I mean and of they course, were, they
0: were on the Blues Tail yeah. for Thompson the Central as well.
1: And of course you like you know you can like Nathan McKinnon's one of the best players in the league and you also have you know uh, who knows um but at the same time like who's ever heard of Ryan Graves before this year? Who's ever heard of uh uh what's the, the goaltender that they use um Pavel friend Pavel, Pavel Franko Yeah uh, who's like? Whoever heard of? Uh, I mean, we we kind of suspected that Kale McCarr was going to be good, but like, did we expect him to be this good? I don't think so. Um, so he was, and then Andre Burakovsky had some uh, breakout season, and he also had like Sam Gerard had a breakout year. Uh, Val Nichushkin came back. Um, he was he had his moments. Um, we mentioned Asim Kadri. He had he had a good time too, and like. I don't know. I guess I would give it to Jared um, Jared Bednar for that. Um, but again, for all the reasons that you mentioned, I I wouldn't be shocked or upset if towards wins it. He he's he's definitely one of the most. Um, I, it's it's kind of crazy that he. I don't think he's ever actually won a Jack Adams, so, um, so I think uh, it would be cool if if he gets it. Um, other. Other player other coaches that I think uh, deserve some recognition uh Bruce Cassidy uh, there is something to be said for being the only team to get a hundred points um but I guess the fact that like the blues had 94 points which are the next closest team it's kind of a little bit crazy and it's also a, a little jumbled this year when all the t- um, when like some some teams played 71 games some teams played 68 games so um, but I think more or less you could say that the Bruins had a better uh, ended up with a better record and were the only team to have 100 points. so that, that's not to knock there. They also had some injury um, issues every now and then. so, so there was that. Um, and then I think usually like this goes along with the Jack Adams awards, but usually it's like teams that were surprisingly really good this year and we didn't expect mm-hmm. them to be good. So
0: the team the, the teams that surprise usually their coach gets nominated for the Jack Adams.
1: Exactly. So Usually
0: goes. Uh,
1: exactly. So I have um I have here uh uh David Quinn of the Rangers. I think it's David Quinn. Mm-hmm. I just have Quinn here. Um Dave Tibbet of um Yep. for the uh, uh Edmonton Oilers, Oilers. Uh, although he was an interim person or whatever but Uh, And then Travis Green of the Vancouver Canucks is another one. And then also Elaine Vigneault for the Flyers um, is another one. Because, I mean, we kind of expected the Flyers to be good, but they did have a turnaround, and uh, uh, a lot of that has to do with Vigneault. So, um, yeah.
0: I would also like to shout out uh, Mike Sullivan. Uh, Matt Murray struggled. Um, He also had to deal with the Sidney Crosby injury and Malkin... And Rust were very, very good. And then Gensel gets hurt. And um, they they, it, they had to fill a lot of holes. Paul Maurice as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Shout-outs to those guys as well. And uh, Jared Bednar was on my radar. Definitely a top-three choice and probably would have been my choice. But John Tortorella didn't have Nathan McKinnon. And that's why I went against Bednar.
1: Yeah, I can see that. That's a good point. But, I mean at the same time it's just doesn't like doesn't discredit
0: what Bednar did though yeah. what he did it's it's still impressive
1: yeah yeah um i can see what you mean um all right that about does it for us here um uh yes yeah, so you can catch us on SoundCloud lace up podcast um our facebook is lace em up our soundcloud is lace em up our twitter our, sorry our i i always i say this all the time and it's it <laughs> um spotify is lace them up as well and itunes um as well so yeah that's about it um i'm brett duboff
0: i'm steve alzer we'll talk again in episode 228 where we begin our conference previews on the lace them up podcast